Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, Mansip Khan here. Thank you for tuning into another fantastical episode of the FinTech Friday podcast. Uh, fantastical is now in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, it's not. I'm just kidding. I really want it to be. I mean, fantastical. Just, I just love using that word. But this week, today, I'm very, very thrilled. Uh, I even sent a group message to all my friends of how excited I am for this episode. Uh, I got Michael King. Michael, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's great to be with you, Mansip. Thank you for having me on FinTech Friday. Awesome. Uh, Michael, could you just, for the five or six people that may not know who you are and may not share the same level of excitement that I am currently sharing, uh, could you tell us a little bit of who you are and a little bit of your background? Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm a university professor out on the West Coast at the University of Victoria. It's got this in School of Business. This is my third act when it comes to my career. I, uh, I, I did my my first uh, decade was in investment banking and trading in New York and London, where I got to see what things look like on the private sector side. My second act in the, uh, in the 1990s was, uh, sorry, in the 2000s was with uh, central banking with the Bank of Canada in Ottawa and also with the uh, Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, where I was there during the financial crisis and got to see how regulators look at the world. And since 2011, I've been in academia. I was at uh, Ivy's School of Business at Western University. And uh, back in 2016, I was uh, approached to co-found a FinTech Research Center with uh, my colleague, JP Varen. And um, we've been following FinTech avidly since then. And then I'm uh, actually have in the process of writing a book on FinTech called FinTech Explained, which should be out later in the year. That's incredible. I can't wait for that book. So could you talk a little bit more of the traditional versus the transformational views of fintech? Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, as somebody who's been coming at this from uh, the, uh, the banking side, from the financial services side, I, for a long time, I shared the same skepticism as most people did that, oh, fintech is just the application of technology to financial services. Banks have been doing that for decades, ever since they laid the, uh, the transatlantic cable. Uh, the, uh, the telex, the fax machine, the ATM. So what's so new about fintech? And it really started to dawn on me, uh, you know, as I was uh, writing my book, that there's really two views about fintech. And there's one view that it's, it's evolutionary. Uh, or, and this is the sort of traditional view that we're using technology to, like, reduce costs and to automate back office and uh, digitize a lot of processes. Uh, but there's also a transformational view, and that's uh, more of a viewing fintech as a, rev a revolution that's coming out of, you know, the application of technologies in many different industries, uh, consumer products and cars, uh, automation. And that, that view sees fintech as really redesigning or reimagining financial services as part of a larger product offering. So... The traditional view is very product-centric. Uh, we're going to offer customers a loan. We're going to offer them a wealth management product. We're going to offer them a means of payment. And that's kind of the way that traditional financial intermediaries are set up. If you look at uh, the big banks, they have divisions with names like uh, capital markets, personal and commercial banking, and insurance. 
And people in those divisions tend to have titles that sort of say what they do, mostly focused on uh, the product. But when you start looking at uh, a number of these new marketplaces, these multi-sided platforms that are being set up, and in particular by um, you know, tech fins like Alibaba and Tencent, you see that they're, they're looking at this really from the customer's point of view. And it's very customer centric. They're saying, what does the customer want? What's their pain point? And how can we provide them with you know, a great experience? And that great experience may be social networking, it may be e-commerce, it may be uh, gaming, but there's typically a financial service product that makes its way in there somewhere. And, and so financial service products are being bundled uh, along with other customer products in, in new and imaginative ways. And that's where I think the real revolution or the transformation is taking place. Right. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, um, just, just explaining um, what fintech is. A lot, of, um, you know, a lot of people may think, oh yeah, it's a very product-focused thing. This is just, okay, you know what? We are just going to digitize loans. We're just going to digitize mortgages. We're just going to digitize um, X, Y, and Z payment method. It's very product-focused. And it kind of, I mean, it, it's a little heartbreaking because like fintech, it's so much more, right? It, it has the capability. I mean, you even hit on the fact that you're having tech companies, right? Like Apple that recently released a credit card. These guys are very customer-focused, customer-centric, right? Because there is around, we've recently had on the on the show a stat that there's 2 billion people that are underserviced and you're having fintech companies come in and service these underserviced underbanked individuals it's very customer focused it's very okay what do the people want how do we build a product around the people not a product for the people or like a product that the people we just give it to them yeah and and Mancy, but i don't want to say that uh, uh all but these two types traditional and transformational fintechs they kind of coexist in this ecosystem and you look at some of the startups that we have here in canada and abroad and really they're 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 focused entirely on the customer and on how to make that experience great and simple and less less costly or as you pointed out they're they're trying to serve customers that have been ignored or underserved or underbanked and that's true uh, both in the United States, but also in emerging markets in places like Kenya and Africa. But there are a lot of fintechs that are basically just trying to automate what's already out there. And you know, I would say that they're 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 a twist on the existing business model. But you know, if you look at balance sheet lending online, that's pretty much the same thing as what banks have been doing for a long time. And if you look at electronic banking. Well, we've had digital banks since the 1990s, and that's not particularly new. It just may be a better experience that they're getting now. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So could you talk a little bit more of the main differences between fintech and tech fin? And uh, essentially, like, are they like, and like, you know, just like the contrast and I guess the similarities between the two. Yeah, uh, this term tech fin, actually, uh, I only heard it uh, about a couple of years ago and uh, I got curious about it. I wondered, you know, where does this term come from? They've basically just taken fintech and turned it on its head. It turns out that the, it was first used by Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba back in 2016, to describe his uh, company Ant Financial. Uh, where Ant Financial is the formerly known as Alipay and was spun off prior to Alibaba's IPO on the U.S. stock market in 2014. And he said tech fins are basically technology companies that are trying to provide financial services to underserved customers. 
Jack Ma is, he kind of is critical of the existing financial system, probably looking at his home market in China, which was very undeveloped. It's all state-owned banks, lending state-owned enterprises. So keeping that in mind, he said, you know, a lot of these, these fintechs are simply using technology to make a profit by selling financial products and services to customers. And tech fins are really trying to help people that are underbanked uh, whether it's small businesses, whether it's uh, emerging market countries, or whether it's um, individual customers. Now, TechFins is really, that term is really stuck for Alibaba and Tencent and their financial service arms. When we go to North America, we tend to use the term big tech, uh, where big tech is Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, you know, the big U.S. headquartered technology companies that are also moving into financial services slowly but surely. Right. Okay. So should fintechs be afraid of the big tech companies and the tech fin companies, or should they see this more uh, as an opportunity of, you know what, Hey, now that we have these bigger tech players coming into our space, should we start creating partnerships or should we be a little bit more adverse to them? Yeah, you've hit it. You've hit it right on the nail there because it can be these tech fins and the big tech are, are a real threat to incumbent financial intermediaries, such as banks, insurance companies, wealth management. But they could also be a, an enormous opportunity for fintechs who are partnering with them. I know on one of your earlier podcasts uh, back in September, you had Paul Shosley talking about uh, Alibaba, Tencent, and Walmart in India. And what we've seen there is that uh, these companies are really open to partnering and helping other fintechs to basically provide their customers, their users, and their ecosystem with the products and services that they need. So I would say that tech fins and big tech do represent a threat to incumbents, but I think they also represent an opportunity for partnerships with startups uh, in fintech. Yeah, I mean, but if you have the financial incumbents adopt the, the mindset of like, you know what, hey, let's start to tr let's start transitioning from the traditional view of how we see fintech into more of a transformative then like the partnerships are just going to be astounding right like if we have like 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 just just one of just one of the big five banks partnering up with apple going like hey you know what we're going to start um backing apple into the credit services or just whatever the case may be that in and of itself that'd be very very interesting to see yeah it's become a really fascinating uh landscape because there's a lot of things going on and as you point out, some of the big banks are really forward-looking. They've really caught on to this kind of customer-centric point of view. Um, I'd highlight Royal Bank of Canada at home here, uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs in the United States. They, those, those big players are recognizing that these partnerships with these fintechs can really deliver a great experience to their customers. It can give them an edge over other incumbents. And it's the way of the future. In particular, with the development of these marketplaces, no bank is going to want to be on a drop-down list on Amazon when it comes to offering a mortgage or a loan. But that seems to be, at least from looking at what's happened in China and in some other countries, that seems to be the direction we're going, where it's becoming very, you know, bank, bank loans and mortgages were very commoditized financial products, and it's going to become even worse if these ecosystems come between a bank and their customer. So some of these banks are, are, are developing these marketplaces themselves or they're partnering up. And uh, that's, I think, the way to go. And you mentioned uh, Goldman Sachs uh, is actually backing Apple with their credit card. 
yet to be launched. It was announced uh, with a lot of fanfare, but it's not out there yet. But it's a, a, a retail credit card, a MasterCard. And uh, Apple has said specifically, we do not want your data. Uh, and Goldman Sachs has said, data privacy is going to be key to our customer offering. Right. They seem to be taking a swipe at Facebook and at Google and their ad-based uh, business models. So just showing that you can't just lump all these big players, big tech and fin tech fins together into the same bucket. They're really pursuing different strategies. Of course. I mean, because now you're seeing how um, the consumer and just um, just, I mean, not only our audience, but just like everybody else is starting to realize how important their data is and how powerful their data is. Right. And now you're seeing how there's been this really big push for digital identity and digital uh, privacy of just kind of, you know, Hey, I should be able to pick and choose what and how much of what of information I get to give out to companies like Facebook, to Apple, or to any of the companies. And uh, the fact that Apple is kind of taking a swipe and taking a stance of like, hey, you know what? We don't really, we don't want your data. We want you to be in charge of your data as much as you can. And that's kind of helping build that, I guess, like future brand equity. Yeah. Ownership of data is going to be central to competitive advantage of any kind of financial service company or non-financial service company, but customer trust in how you treat their data, uh, maintaining privacy and, and ensuring that you're a good custodian of that data is also gonna be central, particularly in financial services. So I think most people agree that more data, uh, that the competitive advantage of big tech companies like uh, Facebook and Apple is really they get to see so much of what customers are doing online and understand them in better ways. Amazon is, is certainly using that data to try and understand, hey, what kind of new products do our customers want? And it can be a great benefit to consumers if by understanding this data, they can provide you with a product that you didn't even know you wanted. But on the flip side, if they go around and they, they sell it and they monetize it and, uh, uh, there's a cyber hack or a breach where your, your identity is stolen, that, could, that is a nightmare scenario and one that consumers, regulators, everyone is focused on. Yeah, that's definitely a very uh, <laughs> scary, uh, scary situation of like getting all of our data hacked. Um, I, mean, I mean, speaking of Apple and just the big five banks, this is slowly but surely moving towards open banking, which has been a theme on the show um, time and time again. This is like, I'm a huge advocate for it. I mean, I'm, I can't yeah, wait. So am I. So am yeah. I. I mean, like op open banking just, I mean, it, it's a very bright future. It's a very exciting future because now with Apple announcing their, their credit card, that's just one of the first of many steps towards, hey, you're looking for a mortgage? Well, you know what? Hey, Amazon actually has amazing rates on, on mortgages in Waterloo. So why don't you just get a... Um, a mortgage through Amazon, right? You don't have to go through TD or RBC or anybody else. You can get it from a tech company, right? Like in the next five to 10 to 15 years, getting a car loan from Facebook is not going to sound as crazy as, this, as it is today. Yeah. And I think uh, open banking is really, uh, it's coming. Uh, it's coming to Canada. It's already present in uh, Europe, the UK. Um, uh, and in, in some ways it's coming into the United States, but it's inevitable that we are going to own our own data and have control over it. And that uh, whether it's held by a bank, whether it's held by a social media company or by a, a utility, it could be your Rogers, could be your phone company. 
that data belongs to us and we should be paid or at least given service for the access to that data. I think that uh, forward-looking companies are now recognizing that uh, they've been able to uh, use it as uh, without compensating us for it. But at the end of the day, you know, competition in the marketplace is going to lead people uh, to, to focus on the ones that are best custodians and provide the best service. And I think bringing insights of that, out of that data is going to help consumers. You mentioned also that you know, Apple is trying to really distance itself from like the, the ad-based business models of Google and Facebook. It's going to be interesting to see how they have to pivot uh, to, to address all the concerns that consumers have, although a lot of people seem to be favoring uh, convenience over security when it comes to, those, uh, to their data. By the way, a big shout out for you know one of Canada's best fintech companies, SecureKey. I think they, in the in the realm of digital identity, are doing a fantastic job and really leading in terms of uh, looking after consumers. Oh, awesome! Yeah, shout out to SecureKey. Um, you did mention a really good point of like you know it should be really interesting to see how Apple is going to pivot. I mean. You know, convenience over security. I mean, that's just kind of ha- that has been the norm for, I mean, f- forever now, right? No one like when it comes to terms of services, everyone really laughs because no one's really reading them. I I don't. I'm in the space and I don't. I don't either. Yeah. I don't. Either. <laughs> you know, like any new app that I download, I'm like, yeah, screw it. I'll be fine. They're not gonna, uh, whatever. I'll I'll be okay. I don't have. I'm not that crazy yet, but. You know, it, it should be really interesting to see how in the future companies, not only like Apple, but all the big tech companies, how are they going to monetize, right? What is this pivot going to kind of look like? Because right now the landscape has been very like ad focus, ad revenue focus, right? That's what you're seeing. That's how traditional media has been when it, when it comes to TV and newspapers. That's now how you're seeing Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media platforms make money. It should be really interesting to see how the heck are these companies going to make money in the future if they're not selling me ads? Yeah, and I think uh, Facebook's uh, most recent uh, announcement about its, uh, its backing a stable coin, a digital cryptocurrency called Libra, is a really fascinating look into potentially where they're going to see some more revenues in the future. Um, as you know, and probably your listeners already know, they, launched, they announced this, uh, this plan to use this coin that's basically going to be backed by um, uh, there. It's going to be held in a, by um, a consortium of companies at arm's length from Facebook. It's uh, announced with initially 27 partners. Not a single bank was in the initial group of partners, although they, they do envisage having banks and other companies there later. They did have uh, ride sharing and on, you know, food, food companies, as well as Visa, MasterCard, uh, other kind of, uh, consumer products are there, but it's going to make payments, uh, electronic payments free using WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. Um, so then the question is, if you're offering me something for free, how can you make money off of it? And yeah. clearly by seeing all the, the, the spending, you know, payments is such a rich place to find out customer insights. Hopefully, you know, they must be believing that by seeing all that spending, they're going to be able to add on financial services where they make money from that. Right. I mean, like you said, right, like right now, they're not partnered up with any banks or anything. Um, based on our spending habits and based on where we're sending money, where we're receiving money, they're just going to add more and more players to the Libra ecosystem, right? Yeah, they will. They've, they've said they're going to basically expand it to at least 100 partners. And by the way, when, they, when you say the payments are free, 
uh, we're talking about cross-border payments. So yeah. there may not be a charge for actually sending the money, but there is a foreign exchange conversion. And typically, you know, PayPal and others, they add a 2 to 3% charge when converting currencies, not to mention um, making a bid-ask spread on that foreign exchange transaction. That can be, that can add up when it's billions or trillions of dollars of, of volume that can create a lot of profit for whoever's managing that. Yeah, it should be really interesting to see how Facebook um, handles that, and on top of that, differentiates it from that, right? Because um, if if they're gonna if they're gonna still charge that two to three percent um, charge fee, I mean, I mean or that, or that, or that charge, um, it should be interesting to see how they kind of market it and how they kind of like, present it to the customers of like, oh hey, yeah, you want to send money to Kenya for sure? It's X amount of charge, but we'll try to like jazz it up. <laughs> well, it's instant and uh, it's easy and it's convenient. So, you know, most people probably wouldn't think much about paying like 2% on a, as a service fee. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. So um, I, I'd like to kind of throw it, throw it to you. Um, what are you mostly excited about when it comes to, I mean, like everything that we kind of talked about, what are you most excited about and what should, I guess, the audience and everybody keep in mind or keep top of mind when we're looking at Apple and all these big tech companies moving into financial services? What, what, I, what I'm most excited about is what this means for us as consumers or as customers, and whether it's individuals or retail or it could be small business, I think we're going to just have a much better experience uh, when doing our, our living our, our digital or e-commerce lives and as well as offline in the, the physical commerce world. We're going to see that financial services are going to sort of fade into the background. They're going to not become front and center like the way are, the way they are now. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, "Hey, I can't wait to go to my bank." You know, pay those fees or engage with that individual in the bank. Most people would rather get on with their lives. They want to focus on their spending. They want to focus on their travel, their savings, meeting their friends. Um, and I think financial services are going to become just. Uh, the way that Jack Ma and Ant Financial, they talk about it, they say it's just like tap water. You turn on the tap and water comes out. You don't have to worry about where the water is. Is it clean? What's the source? It's available when you need it. Um, you probably don't turn on your light and ask yourself, well, is this Ontario Hydro that's providing this electricity to me? Or who is, uh, where is this coming from? You just assume that the electricity is available. And I think that's what's going to happen with financial services. So we're going to have a reimagined experience that's focused on us. I would say that institutional uh, markets, institutional clients have been getting a much better service for decades. And now it's the retail consumer and the small businesses turn. That's what fintech's going to deliver to us. Yeah, that's, uh, that should be really exciting. I can't, I can't wait for that future. Michael, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before I let you go? Yeah, I would say that um, uh, the model that we're seeing, yeah, I mean, we talked about big tech, we talked about tech fins. There are some really interesting fintech companies that are actually building up marketplaces very similar to what we're seeing. You may have seen that Borowell, for example, has, uh, has pivoted from being a, a platform providing loans to consumers to now being a, basically a financial marketplace offering at least products from 40 or more third parties. That's kind of the way that we're, these, these multi-sided business models are, are really going to become much more prevalent. I think we're going to get away from having individual fintechs and seeing instead collaborations between them to offer us a variety of products and services. So I don't know whether people call that fintech 3.0 or 4.0, I'm losing track, but uh, I do think that this, this is a fast moving industry and there's lots of innovation going on. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm super excited to see the future of fintech and um, <laughs> for it to be just as background as uh, turning the light or turning on the tap. Uh, Michael, thank you for, so much for sitting down with me today. Um, what would be the best way for the audience to either reach out to you personally, if they have any more questions about the book, if they want to prick your brain out, if you have a new research paper, like is it through email, Snapchat, yeah. Twitter? They can, uh, they can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to 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 connect with me on LinkedIn or to email me at michaelking at uvic.ca. And uh, once the book's out, I'll set up a website as well to, uh, to advertise it and to share the content with people for free. Perfect. Can't wait to have you on when the book is officially launched. Michael, again, thank you so much for sitting on me today and can't wait to have you on the next time. Thanks, Mency. Yeah, for sure. You've been listening to FinTech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest FinTech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment FinTech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.